anyone out there who doesn't want to acknowledge the fact that there's a spectrum of sexualities and genders, like maybe they're not worth dating. Just my hot take. Hello, and welcome to Reclaim Your Radiance, a podcast where we discuss the most intimate parts of the human experience. Let's take a deep dive into self-love, sexual pleasure, and absolutely everything in between. I'm your host, Chris Hall, and each week we will be joined by one fabulous friend, and sometimes that friend will just be me, to talk about how we can all become our most radiant selves. Are you ready? Let's get to it. Today, I'm speaking with Juliana. She is a 20-year-old U.S.-born Caucasian female who identifies as demisexual. She's a dietitian, a runner, a Hufflepuff, and a podcaster. In this episode, we talk about being neurodivergent and what it's meant in her life, or neurospicy, as she likes to call it. We also go into the label demisexual and touch on what it's like working through a chronic illness. Juliana explains how her labels have really empowered her. After hearing her story, do you agree? Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. And now, on to the podcast. Hey, how's it going? I'm good. Uh, I'm, I'm really happy to be here. And Chris, thank you so much for having me on your show today. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. I'm excited to get into some, some stuff about you. Yeah, I, I'm excited to share with the guests and hopefully uh, with the guests. I'm sorry, the listeners. Hello, listeners. Uh, I guess your guests in this conversation as well. So I'm very excited to share my story with our listeners and also see for me, like sharing my story helps people feel less alone. So if I can help one person feel less alone or inform them about something that they might be thinking about, not really have a label for yet, I think then that I've done my job today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like the whole label thing. It's, I mean, I feel like it's something I talk about a lot on here because it's like such a important thing, but then it's so like kind of gross sometimes and you don't want all the boxes, but you kind of need the boxes, but then the language allows you to really get where you're going. Right. Like it allows you to find community that has similar struggles. Mm -hmm. It allows you to like, to go like, right. Like you said, like put it in like a box and like put on a shelf instead of like in the back. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. My analogy for my brain is I have just like a lot of crap up in my head. It's kind of like a cluttered attic. And you can make the choice to either sort out everything in the attic and put it into labeled boxes, or you can just leave it up there in the mess. Like you really have that choice. You can do either one. But for me, I personally like to, even if it's stuff that I don't like, I like to be able to put it in a labeled box. So that way I can know exactly what I'm dealing with. Cause it's easier. I feel like to go through life, knowing what tools you have in your box, as opposed to just kind of not having any idea what you're even working with. Yeah. Right. I've also heard this amazing analogy. I I guess this is probably just from somebody I knew, but that Uh like, and this is like very gendered, but that like in general, a woman's brain tends to be more of like a big ball of yarn. That's just like all the thoughts are kind of going in and out and all the time. 
which like I definitely feel like and maybe that's just oh, yeah. like I'm like kind of scattered and then oh like, no me too right and then like and then there it was a it was a man who was explaining this to me and he was like yeah and mine's kind of like boxes and like this is kind of how he finds that a lot of other men's brains work is that like you kind of they take out a box and they open it and it's like this is their sex box and they're only thinking about sex and this is their work box and they're mm-hmm. only thinking about work and obviously it like bleeds over but then there's like so yeah. also like a nothing box and they can just open it and they can just think about nothing and I'm so oh, jealous nice. of that right Oh my god! I describe my brain as a constant movement of ping pong balls, like ding, 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 ding. and like when a ping pong ball hits the side of my brain, that's when I have a thought, and then it's gone because it's bouncing around. And sometimes they bounce around faster than other times, but it's just all over the place. But that is because I have ADHD. So, but and that's one of the labels that I have in my little attic brain. And honestly, like having these labels, I would say makes me feel more empowered just because. I can associate things that I've done in the past, like as a kid or I'm doing currently where I can stop and be like, oh, I'm doing 20 tasks right now because I have ADHD and I need to just stop, rein myself in and realize like this is an ADHD behavior. How are we going to deal with it right now? We need to actually get at least one of these tasks completed. Let's stop and think this through for a second. Awesome. So, so talk to me about your ADHD then, like, how did you come to figure it out and like, what tools do you use to manage it? Yeah. So I'm kind of on like a little bit of a journey with the ADHD currently because I just got diagnosed formally last year, but I've always just, even before I got the diagnosis, I pretty much knew I had it. And I definitely have been using that ping pong brain analogy for quite a while. And I just, I'm the person who starts like five tasks in my, when I'm cleaning or doing something and I walk into another room and I start another task and I walk into another room and start another task. And before you know, it, I'm doing like seven things. And I'm also the person who just like has so many ideas and maybe doesn't execute all of them. And one second is doing one thing. One second is doing the next thing is just like, can't sit down to save their life. Um, so I, I've kind of had a lot of the behaviors and I've been working with my therapist and shout out to Anne for about four and a half years now. And we just kind of worked through a lot of things. And I had asked her if I, if she thought I had ADHD and we did a whole like testing thing um, and it came up. Yes, as I did. And recently I've actually been listening to another podcast called woman with 80 women with ADHD. And that has been really enlightening because there are some women who are our age and a little bit older who are sharing their stories of getting diagnosed with ADHD as an adult. And I am listening to it and I'm like, oh my God, this is me. (laughs) This is so me. It's, it's a lot of things. And so far I'm just kind of like learning what things that I've done in the past and what things that I'm doing currently that are kind of traits of ADHD that I didn't really clock before. One of the things is like hyper-focusing and like not caring about things. Like if I don't care about a task, I'm like, I literally cannot motivate myself to do it. But if I really care about a task, like I am like hyper-focused on finishing this task and like cannot like take myself away from it. And I've just always done that. And I just recently learned that that is like a a classic ADHD behavior. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's nice to know that it's like not just me who does that, which for me, like the biggest thing with like getting these labels and like talking about specifically mental health and a lot of things related to that is 
making myself feel less alone and then hopefully making other people feel less alone because I know like as a kid, my parents would be like, oh, she's just like weird. Or my siblings would just say that I was just like weird, um, yeah, which is never so, helpful, right? Like same. No, weird. like that's. I mean, all of us are weird. None of us are weird, right? We're all just different, and it's yeah, yeah. So, like, how do you feel about the term neurodiverse then? So, I I feel like I don't really use that word that much. I actually, funny thing, I was listening to a podcast last night, and um, someone said instead of neurodiverse, you can be neuro spicy, and I was like, oh, that's fun. <laughs> I do like that. <laughs> Uh, so I, I, I kind of, I'm going to identify as neuro spicy. Love it. So, but I haven't really thought about that word actually that much, but when I have, I, I feel like everyone has some kind of like little neurodiverse thing. Like no one is normal. There's no like one normal person out there. Even people that I know who claim to be normal. Like I look at them and I'm like, you're, you, you're doing like X, Y, and Z. So that probably like no one's brain is perfect and everyone is fighting their own internal battle. So I, I feel like neurodiverse is a good term to use because it kind of gives you more options as to how your brain works. But I feel like everyone is neurodiverse in their own way, even if they don't want to admit it. So, yeah, but I think it is something that because it has to do with like your brain, I think that Mm -hmm. if we're raised thinking or believing or being told or putting importance on being quote unquote normal that I think that accepting that or bringing that term into like, okay, I'm just neurodiverse. Like I just have a brain that works differently than everyone else is because there's no way our brains work the same. Are you kidding? There's so many chemicals. There's so much stuff in there. There's no way it's the same. Oh no. One of, one of my favorite ways to like prove to people that like brains all work differently is to ask them how they, how they have thoughts. Cause for me, I have like musical picture thoughts, but some people like they think in words, which is bizarre to me. I'm like, you think in words, that's crazy. Uh, yeah, there's some people who can't picture it. You can't, they can't like have a little movie in their mind. Oh, my like whole they, brain is just like constant. I constantly have like, uh, there's a narrator in the back of my head who is constantly narrating my life. And like, I feel it like my brain likes to think that my life is like a sitcom and just likes to have like the background laughter and like all these other weird, like little shenanigans going on in the background. And that's just, and it's very like colorful and bright and picturesque in my brain. And I, for me to think in words is like bananas. I'm like, I could not do that. What, why, why, why? But for some people, that's just how their brain operates or they operate all in like, just like music or they operate just like strictly in pictures. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a lovely place to be your brain. Then it's like a musical. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a wild scene, but that kind of goes along with my personality. <laughs> so, uh, it's, it's a fun time, but yeah, no, I definitely think that embracing the term neurodiverse is really important though, because it kind of gives us a tool to say in a more formal way that everyone's brains are different and that not everyone learns the same either, which I think is a big thing because obviously all of the schools in the United States all operate the same, which I understand that there has to be a standard for learning and everything. But I feel as though when, especially when we were growing up, it's like you pass the test or you don't, there's no like option for kids who can't like very limited options for kids who just like don't test well. Or maybe yeah. like myself who have dyslexia, who just like can't spell well. And I have all these thoughts and feelings and I just can't get them out of my brain in a writing format. Yeah. And 
because of that, I like, I mean, I failed many spelling tests. <laughs> I spent all of seventh grade recess with my teacher, my English teacher, trying to retake these spelling tests. Yeah, right? um, like it's, it's not fair. Like people yeah. are like, I, I was actually like a straight A student kind of deal, which mm-hmm. like, honestly, I just say I was, I'm good at tests. I'm good at the way that they teach school. Yeah. And that's like, right. Like I don't attach any intelligence to that. I don't, I'm just, all I say is I'm just good at that. Yeah, right? that's like, the thing too. It's like school like, right, is now like, especially like the standardized test that you have to get into college for. It's like, do you test well or not? But that doesn't translate to, are you a good like teacher? Are you a good, like for me, like, are you a good dietitian? Are you a good uh, electrician? Are you a good anything really that any career? Because out here in the real world, you're not get, you're not taking tests. And I, I will never get over the fact that they don't teach like <laughs> how to do your taxes and how to do basic cooking in high school, because you get to college and you're like, what is life? How do I do taxes? I, what? Right? It's like this ongoing joke. It's like, oh, we're going to teach them useless things that they don't need to know in life. Yeah. And we're going to send them out into the world and watch them all do the same thing. It's like, God, come on, guys. Like, I didn't need to know about the Romans. I didn't need to know about like how to do the Pythagorean theorem just teach me how to do my taxes. Teach me how to like, make sure I, I can float as a, as a 20 something year old with my finances, how to cook, how to clean properly. Like those are good skills that I wish I had learned in high school. Yeah, absolutely. So I'd love to ask you about your demisexual label. Um, yeah, because I've never actually encountered anybody who identifies that way. And so I'm curious how you came about it. Like while I've heard of it and seen it within like mm-hmm. the giant dictionary of LGBTQ terms, yeah, like whole, I've just, yeah. I, I don't know anything about it. So I'm curious if you could tell me how, uh, yeah, you came about it and how you feel about it. Yeah. So I, I really only discovered that it was even like a label that you could have like a, probably about like two years ago now, just because the last like five years, I've really like started my journey of like figuring out exactly who I am and which labels I identify with, which to me is personally is empowering because like I said, I like to have those labels so that way I can know what I'm working with. Um, so demisexual is essentially a offshoot. It's part of the asexual group of identities. There are a few other ones in there, like aromantic um, and just like straight asexual. Um, but essentially the best way to describe it is that I have like a door that like my sexual feelings like s- sits behind. And you have to have a key that I've given you before you can open that door. And it has to be a a key that you have earned by being like a close relationship to me. So I have to have a close relationship to you. I give you this key and then you can unlock the door of like sexual feelings and like actual having like, like having sexual things actually mean to me. Cause like I can go through and have sex with someone and like have no feelings. And it's just like, I don't want anything to do with it. I just don't like, and I don't want people to touch me, but like the second, like I have like a really close relationship with someone, I kind of become like my dog and I want to like, we want, like, I want to like, just be like up against you all the time. Um, So I need that mental bonding to unlock the door of sexual feelings essentially. So it's there, um, but it's not easily accessible. And people who are, are demisexual, generally speaking to, don't aren't people who have like crushes all the time. Like I've never found like celebrities that I don't have like an emotional connection with to be like sexy or anything. 
but like I if I find someone like I have like an emotional connection with like I love Adam Driver because of the characters that he plays and I just like I really like feel that emotion that he has and like I bonded with the characters that he plays so like I'm like oh I love Adam Driver but the number of people that I've like had like crushes on or like kind of lusted over as celebrities is like excessively low because I have to have like it's that emotional connection first and then it's the sexual feelings that get unlocked after that emotional connection reaches a certain level interesting so you said it was it within like the bubble of asexualism Mm -hmm. do you ever think that that was your identity at a certain point I mean, I kind of thought like I was kind of thinking I was a little bit asexual because I've never been someone who like has a lot of like sexual desires or anything again, unless like I really like that person. And then all of a sudden they're like really on my brain. But I just am not, I'm just someone who can like go around and like not have sex. And I'm like, yeah, this is fine. I don't Mm -hmm. have any issues. Like I'm good. I'm good by myself. Like, and like for me i'm like yeah I'd, I'd rather go running than have sex that's fine with me like i'm really good like that's fine i'm jealous though right there's a certain time where it's like a certain time in my life where it's you know you're you're kind of not seeking it but it's like you miss it right you get to a certain point where it's like oh shit now i'm craving it and like yeah. unfortunately sometimes you make poor choices because you're craving yeah. it and you don't wait for the right thing to come along so I yeah guess that doesn't happen to you as much that's sounds nice yeah People who are asexual, generally speaking, are not the people who are on Tinder looking for hookups. Like, that's just not our our style. We're just we're kind of like that doesn't mean like we're not like romantic and we don't like romantic things and we don't like sex. It just means that it's not like one of the big I kind of like, you know, how like an inside out. She has the mind islands like I don't have a mind island for sex. It's just it's something that like if it's with the right person and I have that emotional connection with, it's an added bonus to my life, but it's not something I'm like actively seeking. And it's not something that my brain is like, Oh my gosh, it's been like three weeks or it's been like a year because or it's been like two years because of COVID. And I need to like, go like bang it out right now because, Oh my God, I'm just so fucking horny. And I just don't have those thoughts. Cause it's just, like I said, it's like an added bonus and I'm more so like, again, interested in like the connection and the relationship than I am like the sexual encounters. If you were to, like, if somebody was kind of like struggling with this and like, I don't know, feeling kind of alone, feeling kind of isolated because like they didn't behave like the people around them because they had different desires or didn't have these desires. What would you say to them? I would say just know that you're not alone and if you feel like it's going past a boundary that you don't want to go over then just like know that you can say no and that you don't have to have sex on a first date if you don't want to and you can say no to someone touching you and if if you feel like if you feel like because you don't like that person and you don't want them to touch you they then don't just back away if you can like back away safely and exit the situation because i know for me personally there are times where like i've been on a date with someone and they like try to touch my hand i'm like just because like i don't have that emotional connection with them and they've also been up terrible dates so i'm like no no thank you i mean it's it's hard too when somebody is getting closer though right and like yeah 
like it, like if you do like them and you do go on multiple dates and then you're getting closer, but you're not there yet. Right. And it's hard to communicate that kind of like, I'm interested. I'm just not there yet. Like me not having sex with you five dates in doesn't mean I'm not interested. It just means I'm not there yet. And like communicating that like slower progression, I think is a little harder because some people think that, you know, it doesn't matter what your words say, your actions are saying that you're not actually interested and then they'll like move away from it. So how do you kind of, how do you bridge that gap? I would say just be as honest as you can. And also some of the things that I find useful is like utilizing social media. There are a lot of like Instagram accounts and stuff that really just like break it down. And if you're someone who doesn't necessarily want to like tell this person directly, you could like text them these things and be like, hey, this is how I identify. And there are some good YouTube videos out there as well that just really like break it down and have like multiple people who are part of it who are like, yeah, I identify as this, I identify as this, and this is how this kind of plays out in my life. So I would say if you're someone who doesn't want to like make that conversation happen immediately, maybe just use the kind of texting route and just send them little like infographics or YouTube videos or things like that. Things that you, you look at and you feel like you identify with. So that way they can get a better sense. So then maybe after you send them those, you follow it up with an in-person conversation. So that way you can, you can kind of like prime them for the conversation that you're going to have and also make them realize like, Hey, she's not like making this up or he is not, they are not making this up. They are just, this is a, a thing that can exist. And I mean, honestly, anyone out there who doesn't want to acknowledge the fact that there's a, a spectrum of sexualities and genders, like maybe they're just my hot take right just there sizzling hot take right there. yeah maybe like just back away like, uh, oh you don't appreciate my boundaries and my consent yeah. Ooh, okay maybe i'm going yeah. to leave respect now. is not important to you uh mm, okay yeah and I, I think i mean i think it's just it boils down to does this person respect you or not because if they're willing to respect your boundaries then this is a good person for you. If they're not willing to respect your boundaries, then I would say maybe exit the situation as safely as you can. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Oh, lovely. Okay. That, that sums up that conversation so nicely. So I like, there's, yeah. no, there's no segue, but um, <laughs> I would love to speak to you also about your chronic illness that has a very long yeah. name that I can't pronounce. Oh yeah. That, that, I, that I misspell every single time I try and write it on a paper. Um, so that's alkalizing spondylysis. So I'm just going to call it AS as we go forward. We'll just call it AS and make Sounds it easier. Good. So what that is, it's kind of an offshoot of arthritis. It's like a weird arthritis that essentially originates from like the small of your back. And what eventually happens is I get the privilege of turning into Quasimodo from the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Your spine starts fusing itself together and you start like hunching over and, and becoming the Hunchback of Notre Dame. But you can actually, so what I am on right now, I'm on Enbrel, which is a biological medication. And the main function of a biological medication is to turn off the inflammation because this form of a chronic disease, the AS, and also any real form of like arthritis on high alert and on fire at all times. And just making things happen. Like before I was on the biological medication, I was just like pulling muscles randomly 
because my like my hips were like so tight and just couldn't relax themselves in any capacity. So I'd just be like walking downstairs and pull muscles, just having that pain. And then like one of the other things for me is that I've always had is if I sit for too long, I literally get stuck in that position and it's actually painful for me to stand back up. It's like, it's like, like you're like cracking yourself out of a seat almost. And I've just always had that. (laughs) And I've always had like weird hip issues. Like I've been to PT for my hips like a bunch of times and no one could tell me what it was. They were like, yeah, you just have weird hips. Like it just kind of is what it is. Yeah. And that's that's so hard to hear. It's like, okay, but no, that's not what it is. Like you have to like have that perseverance to keep pushing further. Right. And to keep like being like, no, I need to figure out what this is. This is really affecting my life. Yeah. So, I mean, the thing that really catapulted me into finding out that I had AS was the fact that about almost exactly a year ago, I fell while I was running and like slammed my knee into the pavement and like really, really, really like did a good number on my knee. And that just kind of set off the AS to like go into full attack mode. And I couldn't, they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. Cause like my knee was in pain, but like everything else in my body was just going bananas and they couldn't figure out what it was. I went to the hospital a bunch of times and it ended up going to see a rheumatologist who I have an absolutely fabulous rheumatologist right now. And he was like, he tested me. And one of the big things with AS, and I don't remember what exact gene it is, but there's a gene that if you're positive for it in your blood, in like your body, then like 90% of people who have that gene have AS pretty much. And I have that gene, I'm positive for it. And just with all the other symptoms and just like the pain that I've always had in my hips and all the issues with that, he was able to diagnose me with that pretty quickly, actually, which I definitely, given the fact that I'm 28 and I have been pretty active recently in like some Facebook groups and little communities and stuff like that in the AAS community, which has been really helpful because it helps me feel less alone, which is a good thing. And a lot of people didn't get diagnosed till even later than 28. Like a lot of people are in like their forties and fifties and they're just getting a diagnosis just because pretty much what happened to me too, is like the doctors are just like, Oh, it's just the thing that happens. It's just, and no one really like clocks it. You go and you get like band-aid treatments. I'll call them for the symptoms and then they just keep coming back and you just keep getting written off. And especially as a woman too, people don't really, I feel like take our pain super seriously, especially if it is hip pain, they're like, Oh, it's just because you're on your period. Oh, it's just because like you're, you're doing X, Y, and Z, whatever. And people would always, cause I'm a very, I've run marathons too. And people are like, Oh, it's just cause you're running. I'm like, no, like I know what it feels like to, to like hurt my hips or like be sore from running there. This isn't it. And so it's just, it's just a lot of people not really taking it you seriously. And a lot of that too is because it is what I'm going to coin as an invisible chronic illness. Mm-hmm. And, and I know a sneaky I, disease, a sneak. Yes. It's very sneaky. And I, I know a lot of people who have other similar conditions like myself or illnesses that aren't like overtly like a broken leg or you have like a hole in your skull or I don't know something that everyone can just like outrightly see and they're like oh okay yeah this person has x y and z and that makes then and 
they just accept the fact that that is the condition of that person. People can't see the fact that I have AS and they also, I think, fully underestimate like how much pain people who have chronic disease are like willing to put up with. Like for me getting a tattoo, like I have a pretty good size tattoo on my leg. Like I can read a book and I'm fine. Like that's not a problem. Like the amount of that amount of pain, it's like, like, I shouldn't be able to just like casually sit there and just like pen through a book while someone is like literally needling my whole leg. Yeah. That's impressive. I can't, I can't (laughs) do that, but I've heard this like brilliant analogy that like, again, kind of dividing women and men here, but like people who menstruate are born with pain just as part of their cyclical nature, right? Mm -hmm. Like you just, you have this pain that occurs where like, it shouldn't be painful, right? That's what we all know now. It's like, your period shouldn't be painful, but like, and you should just master birth control, but it it, it is right. Like there's, there's that like monthly pain and like giving birth and like all that stuff is going to be painful. And like, we just expect it. And we like toughen ourselves like in expectation Mm -hmm. of it versus like, there's some men or non-menstruators that like just don't experience pain and like, and pain is like this huge thing for them. And they just like, can't deal with it in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's really interesting to see. Yeah. You make a good point too, that like people who menstruate and people who like give birth and things like that, we just kind of go into life expecting and having the expectation that like, yeah, we will have a lot of painful experiences and it just kind of is the fact of being like a female identifying and menstruating person for the most part. And yeah, I definitely, a lot of the people I know who have chronic illnesses are females and like who have like invisible chronic illnesses. And they also go through the same thing as me too, where people look at you and they're like, oh, you're fine. And they don't realize like your body is like en fuego and you're just like, oh my God, just like your whole brain space is being taken up by pain at that point. And just how much effort it takes. And like some, one of the things with AS too, is like the creaky joints thing. And some days they're like really creaky and it takes me like literally twice the amount of energy to like, just like pick up my legs. And so like, I get to the end of the day and I'm just like from working, I'm like exhausted because instead of exerting like one energy point for each knee that I lift, I have to exert like five energy points. And it's like, It's like you have like little weights on your feet almost while you're walking around because your knees, like you have to push against your knees to get them to like move. I love that you say energy points because that's like the same way I've described as like somebody with the depression, for example, that like, Mm -hmm. let's say you have 10 energy points to spend the whole day on. Some people, it takes them five energy points just to get out of bed that day, Mm -hmm. right? And like another two just to shower. And so like all of this is taking up so much energy. And I love that that's how that's described as like these invisible illnesses that yeah just like take up all this mental space and physical energy and all this like emotional energy that like you can't really quantify and people can't see and so people don't give you that same kind of like acknowledgement of like oh I understand yeah it's not something you can physically see and that's the problem and people yeah have a really hard time just accepting that what they're looking at isn't exactly what they're perceiving it as but it, it's so wild. hard, but like, keep going. Right. Like, and I, and I yeah. love seeing that, like, you're so empowered by the fact that you've found something to help you manage it. And like, yeah, that's, it takes a lot. Yeah. It's definitely, especially with like specifically like the biological medications that I'm taking. So a lot because it, of the way the mechanics work, it can take up to like two to three months to like feel the full effects of it. So if you're someone who's like in pain 
right now. And just knowing that like, I don't like, I'm going to try this medication. I don't even know if it will work. And I have to wait three months to figure out if it's, this is the medication for me. Cause Embril isn't the first biological I tried. And the other one's like, I went through that process where it's like, I wait a full three months to figure out if this is the medication for me. That is just so mentally degrading to think like, okay, if I don't find this first medication, it's going to be like a, like six months. So I can potentially, or like nine months or a full year until I can even find a medication that works for me just because of the way that these medications work in your body. And that is super mentally degrading to just sit there and feel like so defeated after you've been also probably told that like what you're going through doesn't exist and being told off by a bunch of doctors. And then you finally have a doctor who's paying attention to you. And they're like, yeah, I can help you like feel better and potentially like three to 12 months. Right. It's like, Oh, but this is going to take a while. Like, yeah. Oh, you're a special case. But like having, like hearing that finally, after going through me, so many doctors mm-hmm. and having somebody be like, Oh, I understand. I see it. I know how we can work on this. I know how we can get better is like the biggest breath of yeah. fresh air. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. oh yeah, it definitely is. Like I'm very lucky with my rheumatologist, Dr. R and he is just very open to just trying things. And I think especially with rheumatological diseases and chronic illness, it definitely, everyone is a different character in this story and you have to be willing to try things that are like, quote unquote, weird or different. And I mean, like, just for me personally, like the, the embryo that I take, the biological, you can get it in the, the clickable pens, like the insulin pens, or you can get it in like syringes that are pre-filled for you, just like kind of like a vaccine or any other syringe that you would get. Um, and I did the syringes for like two months and they just like weren't working. And I had done, I had done the pen beforehand because that's the way that the samples come to them in the um, rheumatology office. Um, and I went to my doctor, I was like, the syringes aren't working. Like, I think I need the pen. It's the same medication, but for some reason it just like, wasn't hitting right. And like, that's kind of a weird request to make to be, just be like, yeah, I want the same exact medication, but just in a different format of, of administration. And, and like, just the format isn't working for me. And he was like, yeah, okay, that's fine. And I'm like, this is nice to just like, be able to say like, Hey, my body is a little bit funky and this is what's going to work for me and having someone be like, yeah, okay, let's, let's try it. Right. Not being dismissed for, oh, it's the same thing. Don't worry. It'll work. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, like having somebody trust you for your own knowledge mm-hmm. of your own body is so yeah. important, right? Like they mm-hmm. just respect straight up, like what you're saying. Like if somebody tells you that this is who they are and this is what works for them, believe them. And like, I know yeah. that they're so qualified, right? Like doctors are, you know, they're, they're so qualified. They know so many things, but they don't know you. You're the expert mm-hmm. on you. And like taking the reins on that is so empowering. Yeah. I mean, just as someone who works in a nursing home, doctors, I've worked extensively with doctors and I will say they're making their best educated guess with air and, and they, they see a lot of people. You're not the only person that they see and they're humans too. So maybe they are mixing something up in their brain or they just had a long day and something like that has happened because they're also human beings. So I think, I think one of the things that I try and like break down with doctors too is that kind of thing that our parents and the generation of us did and kind of treating doctors like gods in a weird way where they just 
if the doctor said, I need to cut off your foot, they would say, okay, when are we doing it? And not even question. And I just would like to empower people to really question if a doctor tells you that you need to do something like really ask them why. And also like in the best way you can advocate for the things that you're feeling. And if you feel some sort of way and if your body is doing something like really, really like make it known and don't just be like, oh, okay, it just is what it is. Cause I mean, like I did that for 28 years and here we are. Yeah, for sure. Excellent advice. Yeah. Uh, so, so we're coming up on the end of our chat. You know, you've, you've been through all this, you've, you've gone through all this painful stuff, um, but you seem like you're really discovering who you are and it's so wonderful to see. Mm-hmm. And so I would love to know, how do you feel in your body right now? Sore. I just ran 18 miles this morning. Oh, uh, we're, we're marathon training. It's marathon training season, uh, province marathon in May. Um, so currently a little bit sore, fuzzy. I'm wearing a fuzzy sweatshirt, which is good. I've discovered one of my self-care items that I've discovered I really enjoy recently is like Sherpa and fuzzy sweatshirts. So practicing a little bit of self-care after a hard workout. And I would say, I, I feel like I'm more myself than I really ever have been. I've definitely have acquired a lot more labels for myself recently. And I, I'm a person who I love, I'm going to count them as stickers. I love to collect stickers. I love a sticker. Oh, everything I own has stickers all over it. And for me, I want to have these label stickers and I feel like more of myself when I have them. I kind of feel the same way about tattoos too. Like I have a giant aerial tattoo on my leg and like for some people, it's, it's very bright and colorful too. And for some people, they would be like, yeah, that doesn't feel like it belongs. The second it got on my skin, I was like, yeah, this is, this, this, this was underneath here the whole time. Like this is, this is meant to be here. And that's kind of how I feel about the diagnosis that I've been given recently. It's like, yeah, this has been here the whole time. And now I can actually like kind of u- utilize it and show it off in a way that best uh, works for me. So I would say, yeah, right now I feel closer to who I am as a person than I really ever have been in my life, which I think is a good thing, but I'm not at the end of this journey in any capacity. Every day I uncover a new layer of things and I'm like, oh no, this onion has so many layers. But that's the journey, right? It's it's wonderful. (laughs) It's the, the second you figure one thing out, someone else comes and it's, yeah, sometimes it's hard not to be like, oh no, but it's like, oh, okay. Next thing. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Possibly when I pass away, I'll have a full list of labels and probably a lot of tattoos. I have two more tattoo appointments lined up. So a couple more stickers, you know, put them on the back yeah. of the car. Oh, I'm always acquiring stickers. <laughs> I, it's, that's kind of a problem. So, okay. all right. So if, uh, if, if somebody wants to come find you and follow you and see what you're doing, um, follow your podcast, where would they yeah. go? Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to talk about anything, hit me up. I'm more than happy to chat with anyone. The best way to reach me is on Instagram. And my Instagram handle is jellyanna underscore runs. So jelly, J-E-L-L-Y spelled like grape jelly, Anna underscore runs. And you can just hit me up, send me a DM. I'm happy to chat with literally anyone as long as you're not being rude. If you'd like to hear more of my uh, dulcet tones, uh, you can find me on two of my podcasts, which 
the first one is Puffcast, which is a Harry Potter podcast. So if you like Harry Potter, we are your Harry Potter happy place. That is our tagline. And me and my best friend, Mel, just want to create a fun, happy environment where you can chat about all things Harry Potter related. And then my second podcast is with my other best friend, Jeff. And Jeff and I are actually doing a read through of the Shadow and Bone slash Grishaverse books. It's just fun. If you've read the books already, we're having a great time. If you haven't read the books and you'd like kind of like a fun fantasy YA read, that podcast is called Into the Fold. So you can follow me either at Into the Fold or at Puffcast and and either or Jellyanna Runs. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This is so nice to be on your podcast. And with that, we come to the end of this week's episode of Reclaim Your Radiance. Thank you so much for joining this week. I hope you enjoyed your time with us and came away with something truly valuable. If you want more and simply cannot wait until next week, come join us online. Reach out on Instagram at Hell of a Hall or on TikTok at Reclaim Your Radiance to connect. We also have a Facebook community with the name Reclaim Your Radiance, where we talk about all sorts of topics related to the podcast and tons that aren't. It's a community of like-minded souls who want to dive deeper into these things and keep the conversation going. Or maybe you're more of a tips and tricks straight to your inbox kind of person. Sign up for our mailing list to receive bonus content and stay in touch with what's happening in the world of Reclaim Your Radiance, including retreats, self-love courses, and more. Stay tuned. Head on over to the episode notes in the show description to find those links, and I hope to see you online soon. All right, everyone, until next week, stay radiant.